Hello and welcome to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional lands of the Noongar people and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. The show is produced by Magic Studios and presented by the WA Country Football League in partnership with Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. Ben Howlett's is the ultimate country footy story. He learnt the game in the small southwest town of Donnybrook before heading to Perth and grinding out a career in the waffle. Then as a mature ager, he was plucked to join one of the biggest sporting organisations in the country. There were ups and downs, but his career is winding down the same way it started, with a stint at Peel and time dominating in the bush. I'm your host, Jackson Barrett. Let's get into it. Ben, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Bush Footy Legends. You've just come off a season back in the country and you've claimed a best and fairest as well. So this is a a man with true country footy links. End of the season, how's sort of the off-season treating you after a year of country footy? Does it differ to a waffle or an AFL off-season? I'm sure it's a little bit more casual this period. Yeah, definitely a lot more casual. Um, yeah, I couldn't even couldn't attend the Ferris and Best Nights. I was actually at a wedding. So, um, yeah, a lot more casual this time of year for me. Um, just sort of kick back, yeah, more family time for me um, and, and a little bit of recovery. I've just come fresh off a, a pec tendon surgery. So I'm uh, about seven weeks post of that. So, yeah, still, still recovering a bit. So back in Donnybrook this year, which is obviously where you've grown up, what did it mean to come back to country footy and to the Dons this year? Yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting decision early days. I uh, I wasn't too keen on playing early days. I sort of once I retired at, at Peel, I was um, pretty content and just sort of living my life and uh, being spending a bit more time around the family. But um, yeah, obviously once we moved back down and got a bit more settled in the country and and got our house. Um, yeah, obviously got the knocks on the door from a few few clubs sort of wanting me to play on. But, um, yeah, it took me a little while to make my decision and uh, wasn't too keen early days. But, um, yeah, I think it's sort of uh, ingrained in the blood, I guess, and I guess you always want to play and be around the football community. And, um, yeah, I've always got pretty strong family ties to the Donut Footy Club, so I wanted to continue with them and, um, yeah, had a really enjoyable year. Did you sort of give any serious weight to any other offers or was it always going to be Donnybrook if it, if you'd made the decision to play again? Yeah, and no, I was talking with a few clubs. Um, there was uh, a lot of my sort of peel mates playing at, at a few other different clubs. So uh, that's one of the reasons you play footy, I guess, is, is with, you want to play with your mates. So, um, yeah, I did seriously consider looking at other, a few other clubs um, just purely to play with some friends. But... Um, yeah, being being a, a family person and, and being around Donnybrook um, definitely made it more attractive. And yeah, obviously got some family traditions there. And um, obviously my, my brother and uh, my father and, and granddad have all played there and cousins and whatnot. So strong family ties, uh, being close to the club. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely made my decision a lot easier. Mate, how did it all start growing up in Donnybrook? It's obviously a family affair, football for you guys, but it's a it's a town thing as well. I remember going to, must have been 2018 on their flag run, there was a game in Donnybrook where there were more people at VC Mitchell Park than the registered population of the town. Um, it's, a, it's a footy mad place. Is that sort of how you came to grow into the sport as a youngster? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's a small town, but um, it's a very strong, close-knit community. Um, and I, and I guess that's what people do on the weekends is, is most people head up to the footy club to watch the team play and, and that's the social gathering. Um, small towns, small 
communities are like that, I guess, all over Western Australia. But um, yeah, it's a pretty special sort of little town. Um, yeah, we have a lot of strong families at, in that town. Um, you've got Trigwells, Atherton's, Howlett's, you know, they're well-known families um, within the community. So um, yeah, it was always nice going back there. And uh, I, I guess, you know, as I said before, my being close with my family, um, being around them on weekends was the best thing to do. Was it sort of Auskick, junior footy, senior footy sort of thing? Was that the, the progression? Yeah, absolutely. So I played all my junior footy um, down at the club, uh, just basically following my brother's footsteps. Um, yeah, and then obviously you sort of as you progress, um, a few sort of development squads, um, early days, it was with East Perth um, because that's who Donnybrook was aligned to. So uh, for a while there, I thought I was going to be playing with East Perth um, in my later waffle career, but um, didn't work out that way. Um, the zones changed and we ended up playing with Peel. Um, yeah, it could have been more more happier really made some really uh lifelong friends playing at Peel thunder and uh still yeah you know loved going back there and watching them play and was pretty envious of them this year when they made the finals how was the sort of taking the leap and heading up to peel it was a pretty strong cult side at the time premiers in 05 and 06 was it a tough assignment sort of breaking into that side as a youngster from the country which is always difficult in itself or did you settle in pretty nicely yeah, absolutely. I think um, twenty, yeah, two thousand five uh, is when I headed up. Um, played a couple of games in 04 as a as an underage cult, um, and yeah, I found that great. Like playing with the likes of Hayden Ballantyne and uh, Brock O'Brien, guys that went on to play AFL themselves. Um, you know, looking up to those guys and and trying to test yourself against the best, I guess. Um, yeah, it was obviously great fun. But, um, yeah, 05 headed up there to have a, a real proper crack um, and really enjoyed my time. Uh, we had a really amazing side, to be honest. Um, you know, seven or eight guys ended up getting drafted out of that 05 side. Um, they went, I think they won it in the 04 as well. So if I had been there a year before, might have ended up with two flags. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. When the state guys went away, in 05, um, like Scott Gumbledon and said Hayden Ballantyne, a few others, um, really tested us, up, us out as a team. And unfortunately, uh, I was you know, there and uh, being able to step up and get a bit more midfield time, um, which was great. And then, yeah, as I said, went on to win the 2005 play, which was unbelievable. Was there travel involved in that for you or had you made the decision to relocate at that point? No, lots of travel. Um, so, yeah, you know, your parents are a big part of your football career at that age. So, um, yeah, mum and dad obviously helped out a fair bit, um, drive me to and from Perth. Um, still remember the, the 5 a.m. wake-ups to get to Joondal up by, you know, 8.30 in the morning. So, um, yeah, big, big days, but um, well worth it in the end. You mentioned Scott Gumbleton in there, unique in the fact that you ended up at Essendon as well. Was there a bit of a connection there given that you've – shared that similar path yeah absolutely gummy and i are great mates um and, and still to this day um yeah i'm not sure about the connection whether he was having a few talks with dodoro behind closed doors but um yeah no, it, was, it was wonderful to end up in the same spot as gumby absolutely talented junior um colts level is just unreal like it was just a shame that you know when he got to afl level he had so many injuries because he could have been anything really so um, but yeah, absolutely stoked to end up at the same club as him. 
I think sort of eras of dominance like that at Peel are so rare in Colts footy because they almost defy what Colts footy is about with new talent moving through and, and guys moving on and stuff like that. So that era at Peel must have been really, really special. Was it a lucky time where they were aligned to areas that were producing heaps of talent or was it a talent management thing within Peel? Do you think, how do you sort of reflect on dominating a competition that's essentially designed not to be dominated? Yeah, I think I think they, I guess, were doing um, really well with their recruiting uh, at the time. Um, I know Trevor Williams, who was the Colt coach, Colts coach at the time, um, and a few other guys that were behind the scenes were, were out and about and actually going out and scouting and looking at the the local talent. So, um, I was, you know, quite thankful that they came down and watched me play Colts footy at Donnybrook and even my first few league games at Donnybrook. So. Um, yeah, those guys were, were instrumental in sort of developing a side that could come together that was well well stacked and well talented. So um, I guess we we're pretty lucky. You, you've got to have a bit of luck involved. Um, and we were pretty lucky that we had sort of seven to eight, maybe nine guys that could play, well, went on to play AFL. Um, you know, not to say that other teams weren't as good. Uh, you know, the Eastern Mantle, who we played in the grand final, had Josh Kennedy and Paddy Ryder and Andrew Swallow and, and Brad Dick and a few others. So... You know, certainly that time, at that time, the whole, whole, whole Waffle Colts competition was quite strong. To jump back a little bit to Donnybrook, you mentioned a few league games. Making your league debut so young and that little bit of exposure to senior footy, what did that sort of mean to you at the time? And was that something that you carried on through a Waffle career? Yeah, so, yeah, just quite lucky at the time. I was 15 when I started playing league footy at Donnybrook, so... Um, quite quite young, but um, I guess it sort of holds you in good stead that playing against those mature bodies, you sort of just learn, um, I guess how to how to tackle and how to manoeuvre bigger guys. Um, especially that's been my my whole career really. I've always been up against bigger guys, so um, yeah, I just think you get a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser. Uh, and that I guess that's people talk about experience, and it's absolutely what you get from it. So. Um, when I moved up into senior footy at, at sort of waffle level, um, again, sort of still playing Colts footy at, at Peel, but being given exposure to play, you know, senior footy at league level at sort of 17, 18, um, definitely helps you out when once you go full time. What about your first couple of games? So two league games in 2006. What do you remember of your waffle debut? Uh, and what did that sort of mean to you at, at the time playing for Peel Thunder? Yeah, I remember the Waffle debut pretty clearly. Um, got stuck on Shane Roy Woden and uh, went to follow him around, but uh, I think that he ended up with 40-odd touches that day. So, um, yeah, it was certainly um, a learning curve, um, just learning how to uh, follow those guys and just working out how hard they run and how hard they work around packs. Um, definitely showed me, um, you know, that I've got a long way to go. So, um, you know, the next year coming into senior footy, that's when I sort of it all really begun for me and actually putting in a proper pre-season and, and sort of building my body. Do you reckon that pre-season and the extra um, experience and then the fitness base was a big factor in you sort of establishing yourself the next year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess coming through, we only had a, a few guys that were sort of sticking around the football club because we did have a lot to get drafted in that time. So as I said, mentioned before, Scott Gunner and Brock O'Brien, Matt Riggio and um, Christian Thornton, a few others, um, we all left the club as well. So I was one of the younger guys only coming through. So um, yeah, definitely had to build the base, had to make myself a bigger, stronger player because um, at the time I was only a skiddy 18-year-old kid um, and, you know, travelling from uh, Bunbury, Donnybrook, every 
three times a week um, certainly takes its toll and makes makes it a lot harder. What about sort of culturally and off field as much as on field? Like earning the as a you were still a teenager at the time, like late teens, earning the respect off field of guys that had sort of been around and and done that. How did you go about doing that? Is it something that came pretty naturally? Yeah, I guess just it came a little bit naturally, like building relationships with those guys. Um, I was fortunate enough. Daniel Haynes sort of had come back from Freo um, from his career at AFL level, and he's uh, was a great mentor for me, um, and still really, really strong, uh, close mate to this day. Um, you know, he was fantastic in sort of bringing me along and helping me build those relationships with a lot of the other senior guys. So. Um, you know, we were pretty pretty tight back then and sort of go around and, and did a few sort of functions that sort of brought the group together. So um, I think sort of around that 2007 to nine period, um, you know, we were probably a little bit lucky as a football club at Peel um, not to play a bit more finals, um, just probably a little bit unlucky, um, with, you know, the way we sort of lost a few players along the way. But had some great coaches in sort of Gary Hocking, Chris, Chris Waterman, who gave me my sort of opportunity as well. It obviously didn't take too long to get set in that group because 2009, you win the Tucky medal. So a best and fairest as a youngster um, must have been a bit of a whirlwind, a pretty incredible thing to achieve at such a club. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess sort of 21 at the time, sort of had my third year uh, into the system at Waffle level. But I guess watching sort of Hayden Ballantyne the year before me, um, you know, Hayden, had an absolute ripper year, um, went on to win the Sandover medal, kicked 75 goals in a team that, you know, didn't play finals. Um, and then to get drafted to Freo was, you know, he was my housemate at the time. So, um, you know, that was pretty, pretty amazing to watch uh, and sort of drives you a little bit further and, and to wanting to achieve that as well. What was Hayden Ballantyne like to live with? <laughs> Cheeky as he is on the field, really, uh, pain in the ass at times. But um, no, I love Hayden. Still really close mates with, with Hayden until um, this day. So, um, yeah, still still trying to get him to pull the boots on for next year. Early so, sort of draft year, you would have watched guys, as you mentioned, go and get drafted. Did you struggle with that? Was it a driver? How did you sort of channel having to watch your mates be picked up into the next couple of years before you ended up landing at Essendon? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it was too much of a driver, but I, I sort of missed sort of three consecutive drafts where I didn't get picked up. But um, yeah, I sort of saw guys get drafted here and there, but um, I wasn't really getting any sort of uh, contact from AFL clubs. Um, I never played any state football. Um, yeah. So, you know, I probably thought at the time I was pretty happy just carving out a, a strong waffle career. But, um, you know, at the time when I, when I did get drafted, I was, I was holidaying in Bali because I, I didn't expect to be picked up. But, um, yeah, when it did, it was an amazing feeling. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. What sort of a surprise was it? Did you have any contact from Essendon or any other clubs during the year or was it genuinely out of the blue? Yeah, it was genuinely out of the blue. I had a couple of contacts from a few clubs and uh, I think Geelong and uh, maybe West Coast, a couple of meetings. North Melbourne were pretty heavy. Um, if anything, I probably thought I was going to North Melbourne. I sort of flew to Melbourne a few times to meet with them and had yeah. a few medicals. But, um, yeah, SM was sort of out of the blue. Um, as, as I said, in Bali, they rang me the day before the rookie draft and said, you know, we're thinking of taking you. Um, so at that time, didn't really think much of it. I thought, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But, um, yeah, so it happened. And, yeah, I was pretty lucky to end up on the rookie draft. What are the next few days like after that? So you're in Bali and you 
don't tend to have an awful lot of time before you need to be in Melbourne. What was that look like? Oh, I had enough time to have a few beers, that's for sure. Um, so I celebrated pretty hard in Bali with a few mates. Um, and then, yeah, back to WA. I think I was in WA for maybe four days and then straight to Melbourne. So uh, a couple of weeks in Melbourne and uh, lucky enough that it was uh, into Christmas. So I uh, had a couple of weeks break to sort of celebrate properly again with the family. But, uh, yeah, a bit of a whirlwind that sort of time. You sort of fly over. All of a sudden, you're training with guys you sort of see on TV and, you sort of idolise. Um, and I think my first training session was the announcement of Job as captain. Um, so, you know, walking into a training where there's over 3,000 people just at training, um, probably more than a appeal game, um, was just unreal. Yeah, just just a whirlwind. Was Job one of those guys that you sort of idolised coming into the club? It would have been pretty well immediately post-Kevin Sheedy era, so there would have been a, a bit of change at the club. Was Job one of those guys that you had your eye on going over? Yeah, massive change at the club at the time. I think um, Lloydie just retired the year before, um, you know, James Heard two years before that. So, um, yeah, you know, Joe was up and coming, um, and, you know, so obviously touted as the next captain. Um, and we still had, you know, the likes of Mark McVay, Andrew Welsh, you know, David Hill, um, some really well-known people around the club. So, um, all those senior guys were fantastic for me as a first-year player coming in. Um, remember spending mountains and mountains of time with, with Andrew Welsh sort of learning my trade and craft. So, um, yeah, all those guys are instrument, instrumental in my career. So many of those guys that you mentioned there back with ties to Essendon as well. Does it sort of please you to, to see that happening now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, those they're just quality people, um, and that's that's all you want for the football club. Um, I don't really follow AFL footy too closely anymore. I barely watch any games, but um, you still you still sort of keep in contact with your club and, and some of the guys that are still there, um, and you want what's best for them, really. So to see guys like you know Andrew Welsh and that heading back to the club, yeah, it's great to see because you know they're quality people um, and, and they want what's best for the club. So. Um, yeah, hopefully they get a bit more success in the next few years because, uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming. What sort of a ride is it from going pick 30 in the rookie draft and then we spoke about coming into training and it's this massive organisation to then making your debut and sort of establishing yourself as a, as a starter? Yeah, it's pretty scary. Um, you know, even the first few trainings and you hear, you hear it a lot from a lot of draftees, you, you just have a lot of jitters and uh, just kicking when you're kicking the ball to a you know a superstar of the game um, like Job, you tend to get the jitters a little bit. So you, you miss kick it and you 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 don't look as probably as good as what you should should at that level. But um, yeah, at that time it, it just happened so quickly. Um, as I said, pick thirty in the rookie draft. Um, we started playing sort of practice matches in February. Um, I remember being really disappointed, missing out on the first practice match. So the, all the boys flew to uh, WA to play West Coast in a preseason game. Um, all the first years except for me, um, and they all played, and I played in a, I think a VFL scratch match with guys who were sort of playing local footy at the time, trying to come up to what, uh, VFL. So. Um, yeah, I was pretty disappointed at that. But then the following week, sort of uh, got a game against uh, Melbourne uh, at Optus Oval, Optus Stadium, I think, um, and played one quarter, played the last quarter of the game and, and managed to get a few kicks, um, which then led to a full game the following week and then an elevation the week after. So um, happened pretty quick after, you know, getting drafted in December. Do you remember being told you'd make your AFL debut? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, um, we had a premiership reunion dinner at the MCG with all the ex-stars, Terry Danaher, you know, Bowen Thompson, all the ex-stars you know, stars of the Essendon Football Club. Um, and then Matthew Knights walked the entire squad out onto the MCG in the middle of the Oval, um, yeah, and announced that I was playing on the Friday night wow. of, of round one. So, yeah, it was just an amazing feeling um, in front of all your teammates as well. So, yeah. Still, I'll never forget that moment. And on the MCG, that must be sort of completely unique. It's not in the yeah. in the coach's office or anything. It's literally on the middle of the MCG. Yeah, don't say it wouldn't happen too much uh, these days. Um, but yeah, com- completely out of the blue. Um, yeah, just just blew my mind. Yeah. Not many people can say that they've played for one of the MCG tenants. What does that place? sort of hold for you um, having been at Essendon and being able to play in front of such massive crowds and such passionate supporter bases as well at the MCG? Yeah, it's it's unreal. Um, it's it's hard to explain. Like a lot of people ask, you know, what's it like playing in front of a big 90,000 um, people crowd? But it is really hard to explain. It's just, it's, it's just surreal. And I guess you sort of feel that in the atmosphere as a spectator as well. It's just as much for the players as it is for the spectators. So... Um, it's nerve-wracking, it's exciting, um, but, you know, you wouldn't want it any other way. It's, it's just unreal. You want to be playing those big games. Um, and we were lucky as, as Essendon to be fortunate enough to have a few of them. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed my time playing those big games. So, obviously, a couple of years down the track at Essendon and James Hurd has taken over, greater the club coming back. Um, and then we had the saga with the with the supplement ban. You spent time out of the game. How do you sort of reflect on that period of your footy career? How does it sit with you now? How did it sit with you then? And has that sort of changed at all? Um, no, it hasn't changed at all. It was, it was tough going. Like, I'm not going to lie, it was tough going for everyone. Um, but, um, you know, we sort of, as a group, that group, I guess, and it's spoken about so often, but that group is really tight. Um and, you know, I can pick up the phone tomorrow and speak with any one of those guys and I'll know they'll pick up um, and we'll have a chat and nothing's changed. Yep. Um, so it did, it did bond a group pretty tight together because what we went through was not what was not the normal um, and it was definitely, you know, difficult times at that time. So um, definitely, you know, sent a few guys, you know, probably probably had harder times than each other, but um yeah, I certainly at that time I, I got away. I studied. Um, I did what I could to sort of take my mind off it. Um, but at the same time, was still training in the background, wanting to reignite my career and made sure when I came back that I, you know, could put my best foot forward. Was that the connection that you speak about there? Was that something that was sort of forged during those twelve months? Did you spend a lot of time together, or did you sort of all go separate ways? And was it something that was built when you came back? No, I definitely spent a lot of time together. Um, because we couldn't do anything else. Um, you know, we couldn't go to the football club. A lot of the guys at the football club still were a little bit unsure of how we could sort of hang out. Um, so they, they wouldn't even ask. They wouldn't, wouldn't try. So they were scared to even have a coffee with us. So um, it felt like you had the plague. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was it was a time where we you just had those guys, you just had to lean on them and they leaned on you. So... Um, we did a lot of training together, um, sort of away from the football club at St. Bernard's. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the guys did a lot of traveling. So um, they, a lot of them went to uh, Croatia. Um, during that time, I was sort of having my first born baby. So 
um, I couldn't leave. I had a pregnant wife at home. So I was, um, you know, committed to staying at home and sort of studying and, and doing what I could elsewhere. You obviously kept yourself busy, um, very busy by the sounds of it, but did you have sort of ways to deal with what was pretty constant uh, public talk and the media spotlight and stuff like that? It was um, leading every news bulletin in the country. Did you find a way to get away from that? Yeah, I think you had to, and you know, it's pretty, it's it's pretty, um, it's a pretty easy thing to talk about for me now. But at the time, it was really difficult. Um, so I think the best thing for a lot of us was actually going and speaking to someone professionally, um, and actually going and speaking to someone who was a psychologist or someone in a in a professional sort of manner. Um, that we knew it was going to be confidential, but you were able to get everything off on, off your chest. So. Um, for a lot of us, we were going and speaking to somebody because, um, you know, at the time, you know, it was unprecedented. It was, we were just copying so much from the media um, and copying so much questions from even our own family members. Um, and that was that was probably the most disappointing thing about it is, you know, even our families were copying it um, on the other side of the country. So um, it's not, not a nice thing when you hear people talk about you um, in a derogatory way, not knowing the true facts. Um, so, you know, that was hard for all of my family members as well to sort of walk down the street and then people, you know, ask about the supplement saga, not knowing exactly what they were talking about. So, um, you know, it had its toll on everyone, not, not including me. So just yeah. everyone. Yeah. Do you look at that now and go, maybe if I hadn't seen someone professionally, the way you look back at it could have been quite different. Do you see that as being integral to um, how sort of comfortable you are now? Yeah, I think so. I think probably if I didn't speak to someone, I probably would have um, gone down a path that I probably didn't want to go down a path, and I probably wouldn't have gone back to football um, as much as I as you know I wouldn't have loved football as much as I as I still do. Yeah. Um, I yeah, it's probably a part of me that probably would have wanted to walk away from the game, um, and I know a lot of the guys probably felt that. Um, so yeah, speaking to someone definitely helped. Um, made sure I was able to just get things off my chest and just realise that it's all taken into perspective that football, you know, whilst being a big part of, you know, our lives, it's not the end all and be all of everything. Um, you know, I've got a, a young family now um, and they they are it for me. You know, that's they are the big thing in my life. Um, so it just put things into perspective a little bit. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely going and speaking with someone was a, was a huge helper. Did you take a little bit of time to reignite your passion for footy? Was it something that sort of once you came back, you had to find again? Did you have to find a little bit of trust in the club and, and regain a love for the club and for the game? Did that take a while? Yeah, it was a tricky period. Um, I guess you sort of came back and they obviously had 2016. We had a few guys come in and play at the footy club during that time. But you also had a lot of guys um, while we were away at the footy club sort of established themselves. So you had, you know, your Darcy Parishes, your Kyle Langfords, Jaden Laverdes, who were starting to build their own careers, you know. So um, to come back to the football club, you're sort of unsure where you sat. Um, you know, you were nervous. It was like your day one again. Um, you were nervous about coming back into the football club and unsure how to sort of take it all in. And, um, and yeah, there was a little bit few trust issues with, you know, the football club and what you, you know, felt you needed to do and didn't need to do. So, um, yeah, I guess you were treading water a little bit, a little bit careful of how you sort of went into things. But um, the, I don't think you ever lose your passion. The passion was still there and wanted to, you know, had the drive to become the best player I could be. How did things end for you at the Bombers? So a, a 
few years later you sort of delisted or let go. What's that conversation like? And I'd imagine that's a real period of instability because footy is what you've grown up with and what you've done professionally. Where did that sort of leave you? Yeah, again, it's 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 tricky. It's um, it was, as I said, you're passionate about it. It's your career. Um, it's like losing any job. Uh, I think losing any job, you probably go through a sense of mourning. Um, and for me, you know, it was walking into the office and at the time it was John Worsfold um, and Rob Kerr, our footy manager, and just being hearing their words and saying, oh, we're not going to offer you another contract. It, it takes a little while to sink in, but, um, you know, I remember still going home uh, to this day and just breaking down to, to my partner and just being totally upset, you know, that's my career's finished. So um, it took a little while to adjust and sort of, Obviously, the next period is, you know, you, you got your fingers crossed, hopeful to get to another football club. But um, for me, that didn't happen. But I think the thing that got me excited was the next period of my life was, all right, now I've got my family, okay, um, we could possibly move back to WA. Um, you know, all these possibilities sort of opened up as well. So there's also a sense of relief um, in there as well, um, not knowing or not, not sort of going, oh, okay, now I'm going to have to put my body through immense pain again for a yeah. pre-season. I've got my life to live. Um, so there's a bit of a little sense of relief as well. Was it a live possibility once you were delisted that you might end up at another club? Were, were there sort of ongoing talks around that? Yeah, I mean, my manager at the time um, was trying his best um, basically to get to every any football club he could. Um, yeah, there's definitely a few chats there. Um, thought there was a few doors that might sort of open up um, being in sort of a, a Brisbane or a Gold Coast, um, even West Coast and Freya at the time. But um, yeah, it wasn't to be. Um, and yeah, it's ended up, you know, getting delisted in that October period, which means you've got, you know, three months to sort of sort your life out basically and get yourself ready for the next year because not a lot of jobs open up um, once January hits. So you know, you basically had to get your life in order pretty quick. So for us, it was October, delisted, November, trying to work out what we're doing. All right, December, we're moving back to WA. And it was basically get in the car and drive across. Was moving back to WA something that you'd considered all along or was it just a product of circumstance or had you always sort of been like, I'm in Melbourne to do a job and I'll, and I'll be back? Yeah, I always knew I'd come back to WA one day. Um, I loved my time in Melbourne um, and there was a period where I was like, I don't want to leave. Um, and I think around once I got delisted, um, there was a couple of chats around, you know, possibly doing an ongoing role within the Essendon Footy Club as well. Um, but however, you know, just having a young family, having our firstborn, we were pretty keen to get back around family as well. So um, you know, there was sort of two two sort of strings pulling there. Um, but I guess, you know, being close to the family is more important for my partner and I. Where did playing for Peel come into that planning? Yeah, so I spoke to Peel pretty early. Um, and, you know, I, I'm pretty a loyal, loyal sort of person. I love playing for the clubs I grew up with. So, um, yeah, I guess speaking with them, um, they were pretty keen to get me back. Um, they were pretty keen to help me out with my studies as well, um, finish off my teaching degree um, and, yeah, and help me out living-wise as well. So they're pretty pretty helpful in sort of getting me back across. Um, obviously, driving across Australia, I didn't get a chance to pack up the house or anything like that. So, um, you know, they got the removalist sorted for me from the other side of the country um, and basically got it all packed up and, yeah, and then basically move into to WA. So, um 
yeah, I'll be forever grateful for what they did in getting me back as well. What about captaining Peel? Is that something a sort of 16-year-old Ben Howlett envisaged doing as a kid? That would have been pretty special. They obviously gave you your first opportunity and it was very much your launching pad and then to become a leader in that group would have been a, a significant milestone. Yeah, I mean, at that stage in my career, I guess um, after coming back from the AFL, I hadn't tasted too much success. So um, I was I was pretty um, keen on sort of driving the standards within that Peel group. So to them, they probably um, they saw someone who experienced a, a fair bit um, and were keen to sort of, you know, look look up to me, I guess. So, um, yeah, captaining, I don't know, it wasn't something I was striving for or ever really wanted. I, I always, I've always said, you know, you can anyone can be a leader. You don't, it's just a title really. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, even if I wasn't captain, it wouldn't have changed who I was. Um, I would have still been, you know, my open voice and, and barking orders where, where I could have. But, um, yeah, it was, it's definitely something that was – it was a huge honour. Um, you know, and I'm incredibly proud that I was able to captain the footy club. But, um, yeah, just unfortunate I wasn't able to get that success. Do you think maybe it almost makes a better leader, guys that are sometimes thrust into it a little bit and are just forced to – sort of either sink or swim and it all seems to come a little bit more natural than it does when, you know, you're growing up thinking I want to captain this club and you put a world of pressure on it. Do you think maybe it actually made it a little bit more natural and more comfortable? Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, I've always tried to lead by my actions, not so much what I say. So, um, you know, I don't know if I say the right thing all the time, but um, I certainly, you know, I want what's, I want what's best for the team. So, um, and I'll do whatever I can to sort of to help that and push it along just through my actions. So, um, you know, there's different types of leaders and there's leaders that are really outspoken. Um, I've been fortunate enough with, you know, Brendan Goddard and, and even Joe um, Watson, you know, during my time, but who are just fantastic speakers and, and get the best out of people by through motivation. Um, James Herb is incredible with his motivation and the way he spoke. So, um, you know, there's different types of leaders and I think you need a range of leaders throughout a team. It's not just the captain um, to sort of lead the way. Where does your sort of teaching background come into that? Do you think there's a crossover there at all? Yeah, possibly. Probably get the teacher voice on a bit at times and probably hear that from a few of the boys. But, um, yeah, I, I, uh, my family grew up all, all being teachers. My partner's a teacher as well. So, um yeah, I'm not sure whether it sort of floats across. It probably does a little bit. Um, the way I sort of try to get the best out of people. Um, yeah, I try to drive standards as much as possible. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if it floats across or not. Speaking of some of those sort of great leaders that you played and played under and, and worked with, is James Hurd someone you'd like to see pursue a, another position in the AFL system? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think he deserves a second chance to to be a coach. He was yeah, absolutely a wonderful coach. Um, yeah, as I said, a great motivator and a great people person. Um, you know, was, I still remember to this day him early days writing a letter to every player and and what he wanted to get out of them. And um, you know, I think I've got that letter and it still reminds me of what I could have achieved um, and what he wanted me to achieve. So. Um, I think, yeah, he definitely deserves a second chance. Um, and, you know, not to mention there's other coaches out there that um, were at our club at the time, but and thankful that some of them have been given opportunities. And in Simon Goodwin, um, you know, he was unreal at 
at my time at Essendon and probably one of the best coaches I've ever had as well. So, um, yeah, there's some great people that come within football clubs um, and definitely deserving of, of coaching roles. Made the decision to call it a day at Peel. Did that just feel right? Did the, Was the timing right? Um, was it injuries? How did that come about? Yeah, probably um, a bit of both, injuries and timing. Um, my body is starting to fall to bits a little bit. Um, kept having recurring hamstring problems. Um, had had uh, a pec tendon injury as well, tore that off the bone, um, which is, yeah, probably my own fault for trying to tackle too much. But, um, yeah, I, I think just the timing of it as well. We were always going to move closer to home, being down south. Um, and as I said, our family has grown over the time, now have three kids um, that are at a young age, so we wanted to be closer to family. But, um, you know, I had a, a really great teaching role within Mandra and was quite happy. Um, it just a door opened up and, you know, it was the right time. You obviously had a really significant career across Essendon being one of the biggest clubs in the land and then Peel as well. One thing you probably did miss out on though is like real team success. How does that sit with you? Yeah, it's still, still quite frustrating. Um, you know, you see some guys that just enter a competition, they've played 10 games and win a premiership and you just think, how lucky are you? But yeah, um, yeah I, you know, I look across my career and, you know, you combine all the games and it's, you know, over 250 odd games that, you know, I still haven't had any success, played in two finals at Essendon and, and lost them both. Um, yeah, it's it's frustrating and it's, um, as I said, just peel played finals this year and I've, the year after I leave. So I don't know, some people just are destined probably maybe not to play in finals and I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm not one of them. I'm hopeful that in the next few years before I do yeah, hang them up for good that um, I, I can get some success. We spoke a little bit about your return to Donnybrook. There was such a buzz around sort of Southwest footy when their bits, you know, talk started that that might be happening and then when it was confirmed. Do you feel like there's success in this Donnybrook group. I know it's not quite MCG on grand final day, um, but it, it would obviously be pretty significant to you being where you grew up and, and all the family ties. Do you reckon there's success in this group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as much as I just enjoyed footy for the social side of things this year, you know, the competitive still still comes out. And yeah, I think this group is is uh, a chance to, for some success. Um, there is some young players coming through in that team that um, you know, they are hungry for success. So I think, you know, you obviously still need some help. Um, you know, we're sort of still lacking a few sort of senior guys um, with experience, but, you know, there's only one way to build experience as well, and that's by playing. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really hopeful. Um, you know, I'm just hopeful that I'll still be around to play as well. Are there any former teammates that you've been in the year of to try and lure them down to Donnybrook? Yeah, pl yeah, plenty of players. Um, yeah, it's, it is hard because we are such a, a long way away. But um, yeah, definitely been in the ear of a few players. Um, we hitting up sort of a few more uh, this year in Hayden Ballantyne and a couple others. So uh, Will Schofield's another one who had close ties with at Peel. Um, yeah, hopefully his uh, old man back is uh, still still intact, and then I can get him down. Is sort of how long you play country footy now? Is that dependent on injuries i know you missed the end of this year and a, a little late flurry of a of push towards finals is it just going to be up to how well your body holds up now yeah i think so um you know mentally i'm still i still love playing um i think 
I wasn't playing, I'd probably I'd probably be going crazy, really. Yeah, I'd have to have some sort of involvement in a football club, um, whether it be playing or coaching down in the in the in the time to come. But um, yeah, I think I'm not sure. Like it's it's just something I'm passionate about still, and I think if I if I'm still active and moving, then I want to be a part of it. Coaching aspirations, you sort of touched on it there, but is it something that you'd look at, and is it something that you'd look at? at Donnybrook or would you move for it or how sort of deep do those aspirations run? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, you know, when I was at my time at Peel, I was doing a little bit of work with the Frio uh, Next Generation Academy, um, which I really enjoyed. And, you know, we're lucky enough to get a few guys drafted out of that playing for Frio now. Um, guys like Brandon Walker, Joel Weston, um, a couple of others. But yeah, really enjoyed that. And that was early days that was sort of the career path I was going to follow and, and end up as a probably a development coach within one of the one of the WA teams um, um, not to say that I, I wouldn't want to do that again but it's probably more the living factor now and where I am in the southwest um, you know whether once my kids are a bit older whether I want to make that move uh, back to Perth and, and sort of pursue that sort of career but um, yeah it all depends on family I guess for me at this sort of stage such a young family um, probably want to stay put where I am, but um, yeah, possibly some coaching at the local level. Yeah, Ben, thank you so much for joining. It's been such a an awesome country footy story coming from Donnybrook and then working your way through and uh, and finding your way back is, is exactly what country footy clubs want to foster. And uh, I know everyone at Donnybrook is is thrilled to have you back, and it's awesome to have guys like you um, in country footy. So thank you so much for joining us, and uh, all the best for what's next. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you like, follow and share it with your mates. Make sure you check in on them while you're there. For tips and advice on how to look after yourself, your family and your mates, visit thinkmentalhealthwa.com.au. Get in touch with us through our Instagram page at WA Country Football or if you want to suggest a guest, email us at wafc.com.au. If you're after more, stay tuned. We'll have an episode dropping every week.